Hello, Rachel. Hi, Brian. So how was your week? Well, you know the feeling when you've made 100 episodes of a podcast talking about how terrible everything is, and you've amassed enough material for 100 more episodes just that in the sounds, last six days? That sounds shockingly <laughs> familiar, disturbingly familiar. Yes. Well, my God, my God. Um, do you want to talk about that? I would like to talk about that and many more things. <laughs> Let's talk about that and many more things. This is This Week in Nope. The podcast where we shut it down. My name is no. My sign is no. My number is no. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. Need to let it go. Okay, Rachel, a hundred episodes. That wasn't just episodes. a teaser. That That's the truth. It's unbelievable. A hundred episodes. Um... I, I'm shocked. I can't, like, when we started this podcast, we didn't think there would be two episodes. No, that, I mean, it's worth reminding people of the origin story. We sat down, we were just laughing naturally, like we do for the most part during this podcast. And we said, why don't we record this? And we did it on an iPhone, and it sounded like it was underwater, and we posted it, and we got such a good response, we decided to make another, and another, and another. And here we are at 100. It's um, it's truly astonishing. <laughs> I feel I feel like we should do something to celebrate, but I'm on vacation now. I'm actually recording remotely. I'm in Duck, North Carolina on the Outer Banks. The uh, Outer Banks. I know, which I love. You've come with me uh, in the past to this uh, you know, glorious vacation spot. Uh, but we will do a we will do a uh, public celebration. We'll have a live show at some point in the next few months to celebrate this and much more. Yes, from the outer boroughs to the outer banks. Oh, <laughs> very clever. Did you this just make that up? Nope. I did, I did. <laughs> very um, good. <laughs> you're, are you going to visit Kitty Hawk again? Oh, absolutely. It's yes. not the outer banks without Kitty Hawk. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Wright brothers. Um, so we, we do have to say this. The reason we've made it this far is because of your support. And the number one way, mm -hmm. shameless plug, you can show your support is by leaving a review, particularly on Apple, iTunes, but we're also on Spotify, Overcast, Undercast, Pocket Luminary, Cast, all, all the, all the everything, casts, all Illuminati, everywhere. Um, so please do that. We'd really be grateful. And that'll make sure we get to episode 200 with yes. your support. We love your reviews and it's free and it takes two seconds. So just go into your phone and click five stars. We don't want four or three and one. Fuck you. Don't listen anymore. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> well, let's get right into what we're actually here for. Let's talk about what is depressing us this week what's making us angry and also laughing at the same time Rachel you had so many ideas tell tell so me what you're many thinking things about. we really had to whittle it down so I want to talk about Mark Zuckerberg um, I do not want to talk about Libra or the fact that he's enabling the destruction of our democracy by allowing politicians to lie in political ads as long as he can make money on those ads no I want to talk about something more questionable than either of those things and that is his haircut. Even more question. Yes. Even more questionable. That is his haircut. His haircut. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, we haven't pre-discussed this at all, but I noticed his haircut. Um, it was noticeable. So last week, the day we recorded, the internet was going bananas over Mark Zuckerberg's haircut while he was testifying before Congress about his proposed cryptocurrency consortium whatever thing. And how can we describe this haircut? What would you say about it? I would say it's a Caesar. 
just just like what was popular in the nineties, there was the <laughs> there was the um, Rachel in like the nineties, like AD. Okay, well, I mean, to me, it's kind of like a rug. It's like short and flat on his head with like sharp edges, particularly sharp edges around his temples. It looks like he almost like cut it himself. Um, yeah, it's got like bang. It's like a chia, like not a chia pet, a floby. Yes. Um, like very, very straight it's like bangs. like a washcloth. Just, you know, just sort of like placed <laughs> a Draped over your head. head. <laughs> but there's more to the story about his hair. So um, I didn't get the memo that Mark Zuckerberg is obsessed with the Roman Emperor Augustus, the adopted son oh. and heir of Julius Caesar. And the haircut is a tribute to Augustus. Um, and there's a lot of evidence for this. So there was a New Yorker profile. Wait, so it's a con- it's a conscious it's a conscious style decision. He didn't just have a bad stylist or have his wife cut his hair. <laughs> no, this is actually consistent with the theme. It's like a life hack. No, it's not a life hack. It's like he <laughs> it's it's purposeful. So there was a New Yorker profile last okay. year in which he talked about how he went to Rome for his honeymoon and his wife Priscilla Chan joked that there were three people on their honeymoon. There was her, there was Mark, and there was the Emperor Augustus. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who is like a third, a third wheel? A like third a- wheel. <laughs> <laughs> and they named one of their daughters August after Augustus. And so the haircut is, is while terrible, it is a portal into Mark Zuckerberg's self-image. He thinks that he is an emperor and he views Facebook as a nation state oh. and above the law because it has like 2 billion users. So it may in fact be. Um, it's bigger than most nations. And Mark all, all, na- nations. all, na- all right. nations. So Mark Zuckerberg, <laughs> I say he's the fifth richest person in the world. He has a net worth of about $70 billion. And if I, a mere podcaster, can go to Sally Hirschberger, then so can he. Get his Caesar there. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is not acceptable. <laughs> Rodrigo will help you. Sally will help you. Nope to this haircut. Nope to Zuckerberg. No. No. No, that's all we need to say about it. That's enough. Mark Zuckerberg, get a better haircut. <laughs> have a Caesar, it. but to okay. have it done properly. Okay. Have a Caesar. Have a Caesar salad after you've gotten your haircut at the lovely spa restaurant. After yes, after you've been groomed. Please. For the okay. love of God. Wait, I see. I see on the rundown here we have another. I want to talk about Sweet Green 3.0. Apparently, there's been a software upgrade, and we went from Sweet. Wait, I didn't know there was a Sweet Green 2.0. I didn't either. And I didn't realize we were no longer on 1.0. So it it was like a level (laughs) jump. So, like, Sweet Green this week unveiled a new concept restaurant called Sweet Green 3.0 in the food laboratory that is Manhattan. It's on Park Avenue and 32nd Street. Um, And the founders of Sweet Green told the Wall Street Journal that it is intended to be a cross between an apple store and a farmer's market. Okay. I thought you were going to say an apple bees. That would be more apt. (laughs) As you will discover. Okay, so what do they do in what do they do in Sweet Green Three Point? The big innovation is that there's no more assembly line salad making in front of customers. Instead, customers order from staffers who are standing at like wooden poles with iPads on top of them, (laughs) taking orders. They're like they're like stumps in the like coming out of the earth. 
Like the ones that Trader Joe's, like, people who direct the lines are exactly. on. Well, yeah, they're like, like little, little platforms. platforms, right? Like little podiums. Okay. Um, and so they take the orders, and then they send the orders to the kitchen. And they're calling this new concept, quote, concierge ordering. Or you could just call it ordering. Like... <laughs> also known as order. Like, I, I don't see how this is. So it's like a hybrid of having a server, a waiter, and a Chipotle style I mean, assembly not line. Even like so, your salad it it gets made. Like you don't see it getting made, which is kind of annoying because I like the transparency of being able to watch. And then your name pops up on a screen, and then you go and pick up your salad. Again, this is this is not an innovation. It's the transparency. Sometimes I make up my mind while I'm on the line. Like I'll see like, oh, I didn't realize there were walnuts. Those walnuts look good. Add in some 100%. walnuts. 100%. That is part of the that experience. Chicken doesn't look, that chicken doesn't look so French. Maybe I'll have some falafel exactly. instead. So, I mean, you and I, we've talked about how WeWork has scammed investors by pitching itself as a tech company when it was really a real estate play in order to achieve a higher valuation. And now, you know, Sweetgreen is a fast, casual salad chain that is doing the exact same thing. Sweetgreen has a partnership with WeWork, so you can get your salads delivered right to their office, and they are operating with the same playbook. Um Last month, Sweetgreen raised $150 million, um, bringing its total capital influx to like $500 million. It's insane. This is nonsense. This is nonsense. This is classic. This is a convergence of our two of our favorite topics here in themes. One is salads <laughs> gone awry. And number two is stay, stay in your lane. lane. Just make, you make delicious, fresh salads. Isn't that stay enough? Stay in your fucking lane and just make my salad. That's enough. That would be enough for me. If I made a multi-billion dollar salad conglomerate, I would take my chips exactly. and go Sweet home. Exactly. Sweetgreen is valued at $1.6 billion. And this is a salad chain with less than 100 locations. So it's like $5 million invested per location. And you're the you're the great business mind of the two of us here. So <laughs> I wouldn't does this say make that. sense? I wouldn't does this make that. any sense? <laughs> I would dispute that I'm the great business mind because I'm sitting at like a like an IKEA desk in a, in a second tier vacation location. So, no, I would dispute that. But yes, even with my modest means, I would say that is a ridiculous business conceit. So, nope, sweet green, go no, back to what you do No, there's nothing. Best. That, what could be more elemental than a salad? I want 1.0 version only. I don't want 3.0. I don't want 2.0. Just go back. Just. Go back to your roots. I want lettuce and some stuff in it. I want, what did they say on Difficult People? I want uh, uh, legumes. I want legumes. <laughs> I want lettuce and legumes. I want choices. That's it. That's it. Okay, no. shut it down. No. Okay, we're staying on New York food here. Uh, the whole country, the whole world might have heard about this, about Peter Luger's. Now, for those of you who are not in New York, Peter Luger's is the most famous steak restaurant in New York City, which probably therefore means the most famous steak restaurant in the world. Um, they serve other stuff, but really they only serve steak. They're idiosyncratic. There's cash only. There's only two locations, one in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, one in right close to where we grew up in Great Neck. It was last reviewed by the New York Times in 2007 when it received two stars, which is okay, but not great. And then this week it was reviewed by current reviewer Pete Wells, and it got 
zero stars. Zero. Zero, zero, zero stars. And I'm going to read you a few quotes from this review because it is a Pulitzer-worthy journalism. Uh, The summary of it basically is he said, after I've paid, it's extremely expensive. After I've paid, there is the unshakable sense that I've been scammed. He said that for the appetizer, shrimp cocktail tasted like cold latex dipped in ketchup and horseradish. And the sliced tomato appetizer, which is $16.95, tastes like 1979. Mm, delicious. One of the things that people... <laughs> I love the great year and great Smashing pumpkin song. Um, one of the things that people go there for is not just the steak, but the sides. The German fried potatoes are particularly beloved. And he said, I know there was a time the German fried potatoes were brown and crunchy because I eagerly ate them each time I went. Now they are mushy, dingy, gray, and sometimes cold. I look forward to them the way I look forward to finding a new, irregularly shaped <laughs> That bowl. was savage. That that. <laughs> that was savage. That's Pulitzer worthy on its own. But then the worst insult of all is just four words. He said, it's just another steak. Oh, God. Now, there is some there is some context here. Last week, we were talking about the famous New York, especially eating institutions. We were talking about Barney's and uh, and City Bakery. And also at some point in the past, we also talked about Dean and DeLuca. Um, Dean and DeLuca, that's right. And I said, if we talked to each other and we said, if there was one institution that shut down or left New York, you would leave New York too. And I said, that one institution was Peter Right. As a result, I got people were sending me this article from all over the world. Like someone from Switzerland sent it to me, (laughs) Germany. Like, I guess Brian has to leave New York now. So. Well, at least I left for North Carolina (laughs) for a few weeks. Um, It unleashed all kind of haters on Twitter. Um, some of them supporting Peter Luger, some of them not. But then Peter Luger punches back. They said, uh, uh, we know who we are and who we've always been. The best steak you can eat, not the latest kale salad. The problem is, is that the Times was not accusing them of not keeping up with trends like kale salad. They were saying, like, we know what you are. You make steak and it's not very good steak. Exactly. They were criticizing the one thing that they are known for. Yes. So I say, nope to Peter Lugers. My dad and I go there each uh, year for his birthday. And I think it's time to start trying like the Palm or Or Gallagher's or even Morton. Keen's right. Some of those are uh, chains, but they know what they do and they do it well. Keen's is super super cool. Josh loves Keen's. That's his favorite. I'm not like a steakhouse aficionado. I think the best steakhouse is actually in um, Tampa, Florida. It's called Burns. It's fabulous. So, you know, as an addendum to this story, I feel like all of these New York institutions are fading and the ones that are coming in are from other places. I went to Sugarfish this week for the first time, and that's like an L.A. hot sushi spot. And I went with my friend Marshall Heyman. It was like 1.30, and I walk in and I say to the person at the front desk, um, hi, I'm sorry, like we don't have a reservation, but do you have a table? And she was like, looked at me as if I like came from another planet. And she said, we don't take reservations. And she gave me this look of shame, like I should drop into the floor and die because I'm unfamiliar <laughs> with Sugarfish's <laughs> reservation policy. And then Marshall was like, you don't know that? You, you really? And I was like, why am I supposed to know this? I'm just like a, a mom from Queens. And we, we, we have a new place uh, in Tribeca called Ocheval that was f- allegedly famous in Chicago. And they came here and they claimed to be an all-night diner and ev- there were lines around the block. And it's okay. It's mediocre. I could name 
10 places within another few blocks that are okay, just as good or better than it. So no, there should be a law that no restaurant that has a location anywhere else in the country should be allowed to open up shop in New York City. Yeah, well, I mean, I I did like Sugarfish. I thought it was delicious, but I don't like being shamed for not knowing the ins and outs of the policies about reservations. No, it's like dog shaving. You should be forced to hang a placard around your neck that says, I was not aware of the reservation <laughs> policy of sugarfish. Nope. Okay, nope to sugarfish and nope to all these mediocre New York reser- you know, institutions of dining. Just let's get back to the basics. We have so many good stuff. Just patronize your local corner amazing yes. restaurant. Okay, Rachel, what else you got here? All right. So I've talked before about how Josh got me this Apple Watch for our anniversary. And at first I loved it, but now I'm not so sure. Um, Oh, so there are these for those of you who don't have an Apple Watch, there are these exercise rings like these graphic rings that it tracks. And the goal is to close all of the rings every day. One is for walking. One is for exercise. One is for standing. And sometimes I close the rings and sometimes I do not. Um, And just before we started this podcast, I got a note from my watch saying, you're usually farther along at this time (laughs) in the week. And I was like, okay, calm down. So it's watch shaming. That's the theme here. (laughs) It's all shame. It's just So I got this message from my watch earlier this week saying, you had a chill day yesterday. No worries. But close at least one ring today. And I was like, screw you. My day yesterday was anything but... Chill, you don't know my life. Watch, shut up. So, like, but all the same, I was shamed into going for a run. So, I'm out there in the park because my watch is now like dictating my personal choices. And I see a group of six people exercising in like two layers. Imagine like a layer cake, but it's like people wait on top of each other. Yes, yes. So, the bottom layer is just like people walking briskly and standing on their shoulders is like another layer of people just like casually balancing. Like circus artists, like trapeze yes. people. They were all wearing black. They were like, they were moment, I thought they were momentshans. And then I realized that like momentshans is actually back in town for like a three week Broadway run. So, like, I ran into momentshans. Momentshans? Did they have like those toilet paper eyes? No, they were just wearing all black. So, Wait, so they were like rehearsing? They were rehearsing in the so park. So it was a dress rehearsal because they didn't have to be wearing black. <laughs> no. it was like a, they were videotaping tech- it. I like broke out my video camera and I taped it because I was like, I can't believe this. I just want to go for a run. I can't do anything. My watch is shaming me. People are running on each other's shoulders. Like oh, this is a God. disaster. It's the end of the world. And like this is why you live in New York, to be constantly reminded that you are inadequate and terrible. <laughs> and so we are. And so okay. we are. So Shut nope. This down. Thank you for sharing that story, but <laughs> okay. nope. They're nope. terrible. We're terrible. Shut it all down. Okay. Um, last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Peter Navarro. We, we talked about him sort of two weeks in a row. Anyway, Ron Vara. Chi- Ron Vara, right. He's the, the Trump China policy advisor who... Jared Kushner found by doing an Amazon search for books and authors who supported the China tariffs. Anyway, so Trump obviously has a very clear vetting process for finding the experts in the most important fields. The uh, best people. Only the best people. And it turns out that he has appointed a new person to the Commission of Presidential Scholars. 
Um, And I have to give a hat tip here to my dear friend and college roommate, Adam Goodhart, who actually posted this on Facebook and cited his cousin, whom I also know, Karen Kelsky, who is a distinguished academic. And here is what the Commission on Presidential Scholars is supposed to be. It is a group of eminent private citizens appointed by the president to select and honor the presidential scholars. Commissioners are selected from across the country, representing the fields of education, medicine, law, social services, business, and other professions. That said, here is who Trump nominated. It's a gentleman named George Mentz. Um, So I was interested in who Trump would uh, appoint to such an illustrious academic uh, board. And there was a press release that I guess he himself wrote, and it's uh, here's what it says. This is like from PR Newswire. The New York Gazette said, I don't know what that is, the New York Gazette. The New York Gazette says that President Trump has appointed George Mentz, a Louisiana lawyer, to the White House Commission on Presidential Scholars. Counselor Mentz has been one of the most prolific authors and professors in the last 20 years, teaching and developing over 300 courses for colleges, law schools, and accredited educational bodies. Mentz is one of the first in the USA to ever earn a JD, an AACSB accredited MBA, and an international law graduate certificate. What? (laughs) So... He is clearly among from our Trump most University, <laughs> right? Who knows what a international law graduate certificate is? But here's what else I learned: is that he is a Trump donor, shocker, and he is an author. He has more than 100 titles on Amazon, and I'm going to read a few of them. And they have incredibly long titles. Here are the titles of three of those books. Number one. The Illuminati Secret Laws of Money, The Wealth Mindset Manifesto, The Life-Changing Magic and Habits of Spiritual Mastery. That's one book title. Oh, this is like very Trumpy. He loves like Norman Vincent Peale and the power of positive thinking and like all of that stuff. Plus Illuminati. Plus Illuminati. Okay, here's another one. You Are Awesome. How to Win and Lead Like a Badass Navy Seal and a Billionaire. How Regular Guys Can Get Rich, Win Friends, and Claim Victory. Ten books every warrior or Harvard and Yale grad should know. How would that's he? A lo- that, <laughs> that's a lot of topics in one book title. And then, here, <laughs> and then here's a third one. 50 Laws of Power of the Illuminati, a guide to the secrets, habits, metaphysics, and spiritual strategies of highly effective, successful people. This is, he is a fucking insaniac, this guy. He also has things on, like, quantum power of success, and this guy just, like, shits out bullshit books. This is and an this- insult to Adam Goodhart and all legitimate academics in the world. Uh, I mean, thankfully, Adam brought this to our attention. Because we, I, I mean, I don't know. We could do it. Can this guy be impeached from the Commission on Presidential Scholars? I mean, scholars? we have bigger fish to fry than the Commission on Presidential <laughs> Scholars. However, this is... I don't is... know. It's like the broken window theory. Once, you know, first they came for the Presidential Scholars, that it's, next they came for me. It's an abomination. This is, I mean, it's, it's just a part of the whole devaluation of expertise and the you know holding up of morons as experts and I, I looked at the other members of this commission they're legit people could you imagine what happens when he shows up for the first meeting he's like the he's like the evil right-wing marianne williamson Ooh. 
Ooh. <laughs> she's bad enough yeah <laughs> she is he's gonna okay, be like so hi guys i'm here <laughs> i'm here for the first meeting <laughs> i brought do- i brought dunkin donuts <laughs> let's go let's go <laughs> let's talk illuminati <laughs> okay shut it down what's no. your name george mentz george mentz no yeah okay um so remember we did that story about Rockall, that rock off of uh, the coast of Scotland that was uh, conquered or was supposed to be conquered by the, the Scottish folk band? Yes. We've spoken of it multiple times. Well, they were I Irish, very... I think. He, oh, they Irish, wanted to yes, claim I'm it sorry. for Ireland, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, I have a not dissimilar story. Uh, a few weeks ago, there was this typhoon, a super typhoon in the Pacific called Super Typhoon Hagibis. And uh, it threatened the entire Asia-Pacific Rim. And in fact, it turned out being devastating in Japan. We didn't probably get that much news of it, but it was terrible in Japan. It was bad news for everybody, but not for one person or one band. It's a disco band in the Philippines who is also called Hagibis, the same name as the Super Typhoon. They have been around for 40 years, and they are... Basically, the Filipino version of the village people. There's a bunch of them. They have different costumes. They wear tight black trousers, trousers, leather jackets, open shirts, shades, mustaches, and they have suggestive dance moves. Um, suggestive? Like, <laughs> suggestive of what? I don't like know. Elvis? Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Hagabis, the band, is best known for the members' macho image and their songs extolling the beauty of women. Their best-known songs, their biggest hits, are called Body, Another one is called Legs, and another one is called Bebe, which means woman. Arms, so. ears. <laughs> so they're basically the ZZ Top also. Okay, of the <laughs> Philippines. Got legs. Right. So the lead singer is a 61-year-old guy named Jose Parsons Nabiula, and he goes by the stage name Sonny Parsons. Of course. Okay. Um, so since it's been 40 years that they've been around, they're a little long in the tooth, but now... With Super Typhoon Hagibis, they have had a huge resurgence, and being a little superstitious, they noticed that both the Typhoon and the band, their names mean strong, so it implicates strength, and Sonny Parsons is saying Hagibis is now getting indirect publicity, not just in the Philippines, but worldwide. So he decided he was going to use his fame for good, and he was warning the Filipinos about the storm and to will it away, and sure enough, the storm, which could have hit the Philippines, avoided the Philippines, (laughs) (laughs) and instead (laughs) killed all these people in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yet again, the geopolitics of rock bands interfering with the weather. Um, now, uh, it's Sunny, also very like, Marianne Williamson to just sort of like will the typhoon. Remember, she was saying like we could will the hurricane to like not hit Puerto Rico. <laughs> well, that's basically what these village people Filipinos <laughs> did. Um, but he says our mission is not done. We will undo the sorrow and depression people experience. If the singing group will have a chance to go to Japan, we will help you forget the typhoon. Okay. I that's... think that's a really tall order, Sonny. Like... <laughs> it's really great to make them forget the typhoon, but it will not bring back the dead, nor will it reconstruct the lost infrastructure or homes that people have lost. That's a little bit ambitious for Maybe a Maybe they'll forget band. for a one minute when they're watching their suggestive <laughs> movements. They'll think of something else for one they're second. So... <laughs> 
they'll be disgusted by that instead of their broken lives. <laughs> it's terrible. So Hagabis, stay in no. your lane. <laughs> stay in your lane. Entertain Filipinos with your suggestive disco moves. Keep going another 40 years. We wish you the best. But as per your climate change ambitions, no. No, no. Nope. Okay. Absolutely not. Rachel, you have one more topic. Yes. Um, so I'm sure that many of our listeners are what the biz calls pod fasters. And um, if you've never heard of this term, it means that they listen to podcasts at faster speeds so that they can save time and consume more content because after all, there are only 24 hours in the day and there's just so many great things to listen to. And I, I personally listen to podcasts at 1.25 speed. Do you do that? I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Number one, I like to savor the content, as I hope our listeners do. And number two, I listen to a lot of music podcasts, and I don't want to hear the music sped up. Uh, but okay. I under, it's re, it's reasonable to do, sure. Like I can barely notice the difference anymore, and like every second counts when you're like when you have ambitions <laughs> such as mine. Um, but <laughs> would I do this for a television show or a movie from a beloved auteur? No, I would absolutely no. not. But that has not stopped Netflix from testing out this feature currently just on Android phones and the creative community is going fucking bananas. So wait, they're speeding up Netflix. They're speeding up Netflix so people can watch like shows faster. Like, y yeah. Like, like watch, watch, watch an hour long show in 53 minutes instead. Yes. Or, or, in you know well okay there's minutes. a there are a few fundamental differences here number one when you're watching a show there are mo there's movement there are facial expressions that you is a nuance that you it's not the same when you watch it sped up number one number two people listen to podcasts almost functionally like you're on the commute and you want to pass the time and you want to get in all your content but people watch Netflix like couch potatoes on their couch and they should want to like enjoy the time not just like barrel through as much content as they can so the purpose is ill-informed as well right like who wants to watch like fleabag on ha on double speed like no you need to see her reactions like your brain needs to process all of the different things and and the director has pacing in mind this is an art form this is should not be watched at a different speed. Absolutely yeah, when not. Phoebe, when Phoebe Waller-Bridge turns to the camera and gives one of her famous, like, what the fuck looks. Like, yeah, you don't I want, want to miss I want that. that. I want that to last longer. I want to watch Netflix slower, not faster. <laughs> that There's that option, too. They're testing that. I, I don't know if anybody else is going to go for that option, but maybe you will be the one. Slow flicks? Um, Slow flicks. But J Judd Apatow was one of the first to call this out. He tweeted, no, Netflix, no. And he threatened to call out all of his other show creator friends to rise up and fight this nonsense. And, um, you know, I, I can imagine that they probably will fight it. Uh, Netflix is releasing Martin Scorsese's new movie, The Irishman, this month. I don't think Martin Scorsese is going to like no. this. <laughs> can you he imagine? Might have something to say can about you it. Fucking imagine? Let's watch. Let's watch The Godfather on triple triple speed. Triple speed. <laughs> I have tr I have hard enough trouble what figuring out what happens in the godfather on normal speed i certainly couldn't follow it at there's triple a speed. lot going on there so <laughs> netflix you know responded to the blowback and said in a statement like don't worry it's just a test they're listening to feedback they have no immediate plans to launch it beyond mobile but i still think this is a bridge too far don't test it no. i love you no. netflix but this is a huge nope just don't shut it down there. shut it and down. it could be no. a competitive advantage for amazon and hulu to make you watch it at the real time i don't want to watch handmaid's tale sped up so nope netflix 
conflicts. You're exactly right, Rachel. Thank no. you for bringing this to our attention. And on that dreadful, dreadful note, uh, it's time for our yups. It's time for These our yups. These are the things, thankfully, finally, that gave us a little beacon of hope, a little ray of light that got us through the week. Rachel, uh, you have a very timely one. Very Please timely, us off. very relevant. Um, so Wegmans opened in Brooklyn. This is a much anticipated opening of a supermarket. Um, it happened on Sunday. <laughs> there were lines around the block in Brooklyn as if like Beyonce was performing. And some people were asking like, what's the big deal? It's a grocery store. And those people have never experienced the joy that is Wegmans. And even the, I New- agree. Right? Even the New Yorker covered this as an event saying that the store inspires in its customers an uncommon passion. And you, you went there recently. So could you Doug just and talk I about stopped it? it? Stopped it. Well, we've been to Wegmans. Tw- there's no, before there were any in New York. We went to it twice in the last three weeks. We went. We drove to one in New Jersey, and then we stopped at one in Richmond, Virginia, on the way down. We it, we can't live without it. We it's stock fabulous. up for months at a time. Yeah, it's hard to describe why it's so great, though. It's not just the prices. It's not just the selection. It's also that don't they have like the happiest place to work award every year? It's yeah. just something about it is just like uh, affirming to be there. It really great to their employees and like the people who work there are happy to be there. They all smile and it's not in like a creepy way. They're just like actually and it's like beautifully laid out. Um, and like I went to my college reunion in June and like what is the first place I went to when I arrived in Ithaca, New York? Wegmans. It's like <laughs> it's like going home, you know, it's the first and it, place. And it's not like a Target and Walmart, like Walmart where they're they have the greeter and they're forced to smile and you feel like it's slave labor and they don't really want to be smiling because they're miserable. These are people who are like really happy to be there they love food they have like the like a crazy cheese selection and these people are just like really into what they do so i say this is fabulous this is a great addition to new york in a time when things are closing down and going out of business we welcome this supermarket from northwestern new york don't go to Sugarfish. Go to Wegmans go to and Wegmans. buy your own fish. Okay. My up very briefly is the fact that at the World Series a couple of games ago, uh, at, it was at uh, the Nationals. They're now, as of Wednesday night, they're tied. Tonight's the tiebreaker, uh, Game 7. Uh, Donald Trump came in. He was announced normally the president in the crowd would be cheered heartily, but Trump was booed, and it was priceless to see his face when it was apparent that he was being booed. It was probably the first time in his life that he'd ever had to account- encounter that. So yeah. yup to the Washington Nationals fans who booed him. Uh, Is there know. anything more American than like a World Series game? You know, it was just like a beautiful moment of like protest. And I thought those fans are incredible. It probably got to him more than like the Million Woman March or anything because he could just like write those off as like crazy leftist women right uh, and and here he was like america's pastime and he was getting booed so by people in yep. red baseball caps <laughs> that's right so yup <laughs> to all of you who booed uh donald trump rachel we are at the end of our hundredth episode i can't believe how do you it feel? how do you feel i feel strangely exhilarated i'm excited for the next hundred i hope that <laughs> maybe Things will change and we could focus on more yups as the impeachment inquiry gets underway. A hundred a hundred weeks from now, we may be into a Democratic presidency. I certainly hope so. If we're not, um, we will be in a, a very bad place indeed. 
Okay, well, on that note, I guess we'll wrap up by asking you once again to please review us. Please rate, review, subscribe. Do everything you can to help spread the word. It's going to be especially important as we come into this incredibly important political time. We do talk about terrible things, but I hope you know that underneath all of this is a little bit of optimism. And we started this podcast to vent, but also because we think there is the possibility of change. And Rachel, I know you're an advocate for this. We want to be even a small part of that. Yes, we believe in nope, but we also believe in hope. Oh, very nice. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been This Week in Nope. The podcast where we shut it down.